It's Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. We're getting into this week's top stories. Next Level Church, based in New Hampshire, became one of the fastest-growing megachurches in the entire country. Now the church and its founding pastor are under scrutiny. This week marked 20 years since the Old Man of the Mountain collapsed, and there's controversy surrounding a new historical marker here in Concord. And here to discuss those stories and more are NHPR's Todd Bookman and the Boston Globe's Amanda Goki. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Todd, you've been following the downfall of Next Level Church and its lead pastor, uh, Joshua Gagnon. Now, New England is one of the least religious areas in the country, so I was a little surprised to hear about this church. How did this this megachurch rise to such popularity? Yeah, I think there were a couple of things going on. Um, the first is that Pastor Gagnon was just really charismatic. He delivered uh, sermons that uh, were relatable. He himself was very relatable. His teachings about uh, about Jesus were rooted in, you know, everyday experiences. Um, he talked a lot from the pulpit about his own family, his kids, his wife, and then the church itself was, you know, as an entity, it was really modern. Um, they started out by renting out movie theaters and high school auditoriums. Um, then they started building out their own churches that felt very much like theaters. Um, Gagnon's sermons would be streamed to all these different next level churches that popped up around the region. They were spread across New Hampshire, uh, Maine, Massachusetts, eventually upstate New York, Florida. Um, one person you know, who attended this church for years told me that there was an energy inside of these churches that you know she had really never felt before in, in a in a what you, I guess you could call a more sleepy New England style church. But but at the center of this was was really Gagnon. Um, his his sermons, his ability to connect with the audience was um, was at the heart of this church. I think we've got a, a clip of his sermon. Because here's the reality: there's some things I wish Jesus would have would have not said. There's some things I would I, that I wish Jesus would have just been like, "Yeah, never mind. I'm not going to talk about loving your neighbor." The heck with that. Like, how many of you wish you could just flip people off willingly? No, it's just me. Okay, there's a sample there of of some preaching from from Joshua Gagnon. So not the typical preaching you hear. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, so what are the allegations of misconduct that are leveled at Next Level Church and, and, and Josh Gagnon in specific, specifically? Sure. So this bubbled up earlier this year. Um, a bunch of former employees of the church kind of got to talking and then eventually decided to go public with this Facebook page where they produced a lot of these testimonials, uh, really describing um, you know, sort of the, the other side of, of Joshua Gagnon, that he could be aggressive uh, with his employees. Um, one person called him a bully, placed tremendous pressure on his staff to help grow this church, uh, long hours, uh, little pay. And then there were some allegations about the church's finances. So at the peak of this church, it was operating something like nine or 10 locations. And it pulled in $3.3 million in donations. Um, this was around 2019, 2020. You know, that's a lot of money. Um, Gagnon had said from the pulpit that he didn't take a salary, uh, but there is this documented real estate transaction in which the church as an entity sold Gagnon, this residential property in Dover at a steep discount. Uh, he then flipped it. And so all this came out um, earlier this year. There was then reporting by a Christian media website and then in February, Gagnon ultimately stepped down, and then the church shut its doors permanently, citing financial issues, given he had plummeted, you know, and the debts uh, for Next Level just appeared to be massive for all these properties that they had come to acquire. Yeah, and Todd, has Gagnon responded to any of these allegations? 
No, uh, he hasn't made any public comments since he's resigned. Um, he's attempted to erase all the sermons that were posted on YouTube. His social media feeds have gone dark, and he ignored several attempts um, by NHPR to, to comment. All right. Well, thanks, Todd, for your reporting. You can find much more on that story, by the way, at NHPR.org that Todd has been reporting out. Uh, I want to turn to another important story from this week. Wednesday marked 20 years since the old man of the mountain fell. Uh, Amanda, you wrote uh, about some new research from Dartmouth on that rock profile, the, the iconic, iconic rock profile here in New Hampshire. Tell us more about that. Sure. So Matthew Mackley is a graduate student in an earth sciences program at, at Dartmouth College, and he's been looking into bedrock weathering. So that's basically studying the geologic conditions that lead to rockfall like we, we saw with the old man in the mountain. So as a part of that research, he found these archival images of the old man, and he used those to create a 3D visualization of what the emblem looked like when it was still standing. And he worked with this other scientist to do that. Um, his name is Brian Fowler. And Brian had dedicated much of his life to studying the old man. He originally studied the, the monument nearly 50 years ago. And then he did the what's come to be known as the autopsy on it after its fell, kind of determining the structural conditions that led to its fall. Um, so he remembers that moment really vividly. And he talked about just the shock and the, the grief that really gripped the state in the wake of that event. Um, and he described how it, it felt really like an important member of the family had, had died. Um, so I was curious to ask him about why this emblem has such staying power now, 20 years later. And he basically said he thinks there's something kind of sublime about it and the way it was just a timeless and enduring presence in the state. And, and now through this new visualization, it sort of offers a new generation that opportunity to get to know the old man, to see him. Um, even though he's no longer standing. Okay, so what is the researcher, though, hoping to learn that that, that, that has an impact beyond, beyond the, the geo geology of the old man himself? So Mackley was trying to see if it is possible to determine which parts of the cliff are most likely to fall and why. He also is looking into how climate change is affecting this process, and it's, it's, it's a pretty fascinating process. It's essentially how rock gets turned into soil, so it's, it's something quite important for researchers to know more about. Um, it also has applications for things like recreation in Franconia Notch State Park, just sort of being able to warn people where the rock might fall. And beyond that, it could be useful in construction projects that involve blasting rock to make way for roads. So if you're driving on a, on a highway um, and if there's any danger of that rock fall, you can, you can know that ahead of time. It's nice that the old man has, uh, has implications uh, well beyond um, his lifetime, <laughs> I guess, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. Governor Chris Sununu signed a bill this week uh, proclaiming May 3rd as Old Man of the Mountain Day, in fact. And Todd, you were at that executive council meeting where Sununu signed that bill. What was what was the scene like? Yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, sort of a celebration of sorts and a, and a wake of sorts. Um, you know, as Amanda pointed out, even after 20 years, this event is still really painful for a lot of Granite Staters. The governor talked about how he learned of the uh, rocks collapse, and it was his his own father, the other governor, Sununu, who had called him, and you know, he wanted to figure out a way to try to rebuild the old man. And 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 younger Sununu, Chris said, uh, you know, Dad, I think we've got to let it go. And so. Um, I think at the bill signing ceremony, for for me at least, the highlight though was this uh, song called "The Great Stone Face" that was played by musician Rick Lang. Uh, Ganley, I hope we're going to play the whole three minutes of it. Here's a sample. First light of dawn, I could not believe the old man was gone. 
Todd, there, there is some feeling there. It was well done. All right. It's Morning Edition here at NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Todd Bookman and the Boston Globe's Amanda Gokey. In other news, the state unveiled a new historic state marker commemorating labor leader Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. Todd, who, who was Gurley Flynn and, and why has the state decided to note her? Yeah, this story seemingly came out of nowhere this week. Um, on Monday, the state unveiled this this marker for Gurley Flynn. Um, the short of it is that she was born in Concord in 1890. She went on to become a prominent uh, labor organizer, suffragette. She actually helped found the ACLU. Uh, but it's the second half of her life um, that has come under scrutiny. She joined the Communist Party. By the end of her life, 1964, she was actually head of the Communist Party um, in the U.S. She happened to die in the Soviet Union. She's given a state funeral. Um, the, the, the historical marker program, to be clear, isn't to honor her. These markers are erected to to mark significant people or events in New Hampshire history, not necessarily to champion them. There's about 300 of them now uh, spread out around the state. And, and they're the result of citizen petitions that the state's uh, historical resources division kind of reviews and then puts forward. So some state elected officials calling for the removal of this marker. Um, you know, what's going on there? What, what's the response from other state officials? officials? Is there pushback to that? Yeah. So, you know, it's her communist, not just communist ties, but her, you know, her sort of position atop the communist party that's coming under a lot of scrutiny on Wednesday at the same executive council meeting where we had the song played. Um, councilors David Wheeler, Joe Kenny, both Republicans, they really expressed a lot of anger about this marker. This was not something that was on the agenda. They they called her un-American. They said the marker is a slap in the face against those who fought against uh, communism. Uh, and since then, some other Republicans have also come forward saying, you know, this this is not an appropriate uh, 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 remembrance of her. Will there be some kind of review? Well, so just yesterday, the state agency in charge of the program, you know, reiterated that it does not pass judgment on the person or the event um, for these proposed markers. They just signify that it is of historical significance. Um, a letter was sent, though, to uh, the city of Concord yesterday saying, essentially, if you want this sign removed, we can do that. And at least one state rep has also said that, you know, if this sign doesn't come in, there's going to be legislation next session to to remove it. All right. Well, we'll be watching for that. Let's turn back to you, Amanda. You wrote about a rally at the State House for International Workers Day. Who was there and, and what did they have to say? So there was a wide range of individuals and organizations that showed up on, on Monday for this event. Everybody from some of the state's labor unions to pro-immigrant rights groups and workers' rights groups as well. The ACLU was there. Uh, the event was emceed by Ava Castillo, who's a longtime immigrant right, rights worker in New Hampshire. Um, and I spoke with Claudia Decker, whose family immigrated to the U.S. when she was two. She's now a Spanish teacher in Nashua. So they talked about a, a, a broad range of things from the importance of livable, livable wage to the problem of wage theft in the state and also how to make New Hampshire a more welcoming state and combating racism. There were several firsthand accounts about how important immigrants are to New Hampshire's economy, especially given the workforce shortage the state is experiencing. They spoke against Governor Chris Sununu's proposal to spend $1.4 million on an additional border patrol. That has been removed from the budget currently by House lawmakers, but they're just watching to see if it gets added back in by the Senate. 
Now, NHPR's Gabby Lozada also reported uh, on our air earlier this week on people who attended in opposition of a proposed Senate bill on immigration enforcement. Can you tell us more about that bill, Amanda? What would it do? Yeah, so that's Senate Bill 132. It's called the Anti-Sanctuary Act. It would basically prevent cities and towns from adopting what are called sanctuary city policies. The bill defines this as any policy that prevents local police from cooperating with the enforcement of federal immigration laws. According to the American Immigration Council, sanctuary policies are based on the idea that the federal government cannot force local communities to take part in enforcing immigration. In this case, it would basically be the state telling towns, you cannot have a policy on your books that explicitly prohibits police from working on these federal immigration issues. And Gilles Bissonnette, he's a lawyer at the ACLU, he basically said the practical effect of this bill would be just that, forcing local police to enforce immigration laws. And he, he has pretty serious concerns about that. Okay. Well, we'll be watching more for, for what happens with that bill. And I know Amanda will have you on our air again to talk more about that. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Boston Globe's Amanda Goki. Also, thanks to NHPR's Todd Bookman. Todd, thank you for your reporting. Thank you, Rick. As always, and you can find more of their reporting at nhpr.org and bostonglobe.com slash nh. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is Morning Edition on NHPR.